0: welcome to the mind money spectrum podcast where your hosts aaron ogti and trishal patel go beyond
1: traditional finance questions to help you explore how to use your money to achieve the freedom you want in life hi my name is aaron ogti i'm a financial advisor in the bay area I'm here with Trichel Patel, a wealth manager on the East Coast. Hey,
0: Aaron, great to be here today. And thanks, everybody, for listening and watching. Great
1: to be here as well. Uh, I Just before we get to the thing, I know it's like I think like I'm dressed like one in the Bay Area in winter, and you're dressed like someone in Florida in winter. <laughs> so all right, just, first, I, I made that observation, but um, uh, going back a few episodes, we were talking about our ideal day week year. And this was a a kinder life planning exercise that we were trying to apply to ourselves to kind of give you an idea of some of the ways we think about helping our clients. And we realized that our perspective is very different because we are small business owners. We can structure our calendar however we want, and that gives us certain freedoms, and flexibilities. So we intended to address that like difference between entrepreneurs and W two employees, and we kind of got distracted about like the education system and how it seems like the default in the U S is preparing everyone to be a W two employee, and we didn't actually get into like too many of the mechanics or the differences between W two employees working for another company and entrepreneurs, and I. I don't necessarily want to to focus on that that entrepreneur idea, in part because of the way tech has played out over the last few decades. Sometimes people people think of entrepreneurs, they're thinking like a startup that is going to get venture capital funding and try to go public at some point. And I really tend to mean more on the small business owner side, where they're responsible for kind of generating the revenue of the business and they do their thing. And so they might have employees, they might not, but it's, it's just time to distinguish. It's not necessarily building something really big. It's just the lifestyle differences that W2 employees at like employees of, of other organizations have responsibilities in a, and small business owners don't. So I think that, that's kind of like what I think of when I try to think of those those differences. And I, I hope or wonder if we'll be able to get back to relating some of that like ideal day, week, year stuff to how W2 employees could implement some of that idea, uh, re- especially relating conversations that we've had with clients. But... We don't know if all time. We'll, we'll see. We'll see where we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, starting off w- with that idea, like maybe not entrepreneur, but like just that, like employee versus small business owner. What are s- some of the things that you were thinking of? Again, it's kind of like distinct. Like you having a great ideal day, week, year for you, but not all W two employees who have a regular schedule. Can do. I guess that's actually one of the things, one of the things to talk about. It's like, not everyone has a nine to five job. Like, there are some non traditional work time frames that are still W two employees. So, so, so what what's there that you want to get started with? Of like the difference between employee versus small business owner.
0: Well, I think I would broaden that distinction of small business owner to include an umbrella category of individuals that are essentially self-employed, meaning you're not, yeah, right. So you're not necessarily uh, a small business owner in the traditional sense where you have a shop and people come in and go, you could just be a 1099 worker who is freelancing and doing some sort of side hustle, you know, something like that. It's, It's less formal than like a small business with a, you know, assign and, you know, come meet me. In fact, you could be working for the same employer as a 1099 versus a W-2, meaning the job can be very similar in nature, but there's certain subtle differences to think about, which is what we'll
1: kind of get into. Okay. I love this because I'm already thinking of like another example where um, even within the financial advisory space, there are a large number of jobs for financial advisors where they are W-2 employees of a larger organization, Mm -hmm. but because they are responsible for for generating revenue, that they're on the business development side and serving clients, they have the control of their schedule in the same way that a self-employed or small business business owner might be, even though they're also W-2 employees. They still get a Mm -hmm. payout structure. And so I think that might be one of the distinctions we're trying to get to. And I've seen um, others that are in sales that if they kind of produce enough results to satisfy whatever their job expectations are, they're getting a lot of flexibility in terms of their hours, I guess I'd say. Um, I've seen it with engineers that if they are producing well enough that the, the boss doesn't necessarily care what time they work. And I know some, like, They'll work from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. and then again from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. And like so, so it is like there's – really like. There's, is is our emphasis more on time flexibility, or is there something else that that might be you kind know, of worth addressing? Right. So. Uh...
0: I think maybe we we just start with a few definitions to help carve out some of these things and then we can navigate the landscape that way. So, for example, in the traditional sense, a W-2 employee is somebody who has a regular position where somebody tells them, you know, where they're supposed to show up on a regular basis. They have a set number of hours in terms of obligation. And it comes with benefits. So, the the notion behind the whole W two and you know creation is that you want to have some sort of system that allows individuals to make a commitment to work for a business, but also, given that they've made that commitment, they get certain. obligations from the business that provide a sense of stability. And that's where these types of benefits come into play, meaning the business helps them handle their health care and their retirement plan and their time off, you know, vacation days. And, you know, these days you can see kind of Cadillac plans for W-2 employees that include legal assistance and childcare and, you know, all cafeteria plans and all the different things that you can kind of think of to make that employee stable in his position so that he can focus on the job. And, you know, that, that probably grew out of a desire for a stability where in the past, before this concept was common, you basically had everybody for themselves. And if an employer wanted people to work for them, they'd pull them in. And they could potentially, you know, just let them go without certain obligations or they could shift the character of the work without certain uh, constraints and things like that. And also when you're committed to an employer, there might be certain things that you need to get figured out that are just challenging to do if you're relocating to a different state or to even a different part of the country where the employer can help streamline the process. So there's certain um, mutual benefits that might come from, from that type of understanding. On the flip side, in the traditional sense today, one common distinction you have between W-2 is this notion of a 1099 employee. So the, the mm-hmm. distinction there is there's actually a, um, a distinction from the tax code on how you are taxed. And then a distinction on how these two entities are regulated or these, these two different types of employment situations are regulated. The W-2 I mentioned has all those benefits and things that come with it. The 1099, this kind of includes, um, freelance workers, right? Contract jobs where, um, the employment situation isn't as structured as a W-2. But it also allows an uh, individual to be more entrepreneurial, you know, as we started this conversation with. And they might even have a business where their job is to consult for many different companies. So they're not tied to one specific employer. I, I, let me, and then from the tax perspective, there is some subtle differences. I have an article that I could share that, that kind of breaks down that. So I just quickly Googled it. Let me share the screen here.
1: Uh, let's see. So uh, I, I don't this might be like an oversimplification, but I, I want to like hear your thought. Like it almost sounds like who is your boss kind of feeling.
0: Yeah, that, that is kind of a, a good part of it. Um and, and it, it, here's where it might come into play. So l- let's see. Uh, the, the quick paragraph here is um let's see 1099 worker self-employed independent contractor freelancer or gig worker so firms may coordinate it with these people to do a specific task and it's defined by like a contract saying, I want you to handle this part of my business for three or four hours a month. And I'll pay you X. And that's your only association with my business. I pay you money. You do this thing. You do yeah. whatever you need to do with your situation and I'll handle my business. So there's kind of like an arm's length relationship that's going on there. What is a 1099 worker? Well, you're not on the company's payroll. You pay your own taxes, typically on a quarterly basis. You are again an independent contractor, freelancer, gig worker. You're not eligible for unemployment if the business that you're working for decides to let you go. That's kind of it. So this is again one of those um, one of those benefits that you would give up if you end up as a 1099 worker. Okay. So why would a business want to hire a 1099 worker? Well, they might bring a specific core set of skills that you may not need on a Mm full-time basis. You you can have short-term contracts come like once a year to do my accounting, you know, something like that. It also has less overhead because again, it doesn't come with the full benefits of an in-house employee. So that could be a benefit of not having a 1099 worker. Incidentally, the the government also realizes that in certain situations, an employer may try to pursue 1099 relationships when, in fact, that person is working in a W-2 capacity. However, the employer is resisting that label because the employer doesn't want to hand over
1: all of those benefits. So there are certain tests employment laws and like, yeah. once you get to a certain size if you have over 100 employees etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah
0: yeah so the, the government watches out for those concerns and there's regulations in place to say hey you, you're actually showing up for you know 40 hours a week at the same time you're in an, a cubicle you're doing a lot of stuff that looks like an employee it seems yeah. like you, you deserve benefits at this point right is what the government is trying to say So there's some disadvantage of having a 1099 worker as well. You have less control over that person, right? They're not fully tied to your business. Again, you just hired them to do certain jobs. Yeah. Um, You don't have the protection of workers' compensation, so you don't have to provide health benefits and stuff like that. But if a 1099 worker injures themselves on the job, they could still hold your business responsible. So there is some liability concern there. And th- there's legal considerations. Um, you might be able to fire an employee at will, but a contractor, well, that's actually based on the contract that you have with that independent contractor. For yeah. example, when you have a W-2 position, it's still an at-will employment, meaning either party can leave, you know, or, you know, pass people on for our, what, whatever reason that it, if it has a sound business sense, obviously you can't discriminate and you can't, yeah. kind of, foul of of that, but it's essentially a notion of at-will employment. Both parties are agreeing to work with each other, even though it is in a W-2 capacity. However, with a 1099, if that person that you hire doesn't live up to the terms of the contract, meaning they don't deliver, they can be legally responsible. Meaning the 1099 person said they're going to provide you with a product. They have to provide you with that product or they would be legally responsible. However, if you hired somebody to do that product for you and they don't do it. You can't say you got to get that done. If they're a W2 employee, you imagine that there is a difference there from that standpoint.
1: Okay, so, so this this is good. And like really understanding the mechanics where it is possible that if you're a 1099 contractor, but there's an expectation for the car, like we need you to do 120 hours of work over the next three weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh like you're that's 40 hours a week. So it's like, or we need you to do 40 hours a week for three months. So it's like there is that time expectation. We need you to come into our office and help do this one thing over here for 40 hours a week for three months, and so. There are times where the contract work can feel employee-like. And I think the I, the reason I use that example is I'm going to say the three-month time frame is kind of the key part. It was like, we're going to have you do this one thing over here for 40 hours a week for the next year or two. That probably sounds more like a, an employee and then there's employment law involved. But mm-hmm. like just for three months. It's like that. I'm going to. I don't know enough about employment loss as a time frame distinction, but I think that would be a good example of a ten ninety nine work that will feel like an employee, uh, and like some of the other examples, like there could be W two employees that don't have those time constraints that can feel like like independent work. I don't don't say independent contract, but close. Like if you're responsible for business development in some regard, then you're given certain kind of freedoms and flexibility, assuming you're producing uh, up to Mm -hmm. expectations. And and so uh, I think that's, that's probably the key of what we're trying to talk about. Like there are mechanical differences and understanding them does make a difference like uh, one of the more common benefits, and not just health insurance, but 1099 contractors can't participate in a 401k. If a, co- if a company has a 401k, that's for employees only. Um, mm-hmm. in my business, uh, things like incentive stock options cannot be awarded to contractors, can only be award- uh, awarded to W2 employees. So that, that's like a one super specific thing. That does come up in some of the clients uh, and people that I talk to. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So there are mechanical differences, and it's—I'm trying to think like—but there's I guess, there's also emotional differences. I guess I'm trying to think like a good way to phrase uh, that—the intangible side of expectations,
0: psychological differences. I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and well, so, go
0: ahead. Oh, I, I, I was going to say, I, I think that that is a good part of it. Like, what, why the W two structure was to put it was put in place initially to provide this um, sense of security that employers or employees, I think, didn't have some sort of safety net from employers kind of ab- abusing their standing, you know, and things like that. Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I think I, I think that that idea of that expectation is probably uh, probably a big difference. Like when you when a, a company is hiring a W two employee, the expectation is they'll be there for a long time to help that company grow. Mm-hmm. And it's possible the role changes as the company grows. So that, that it's possible that there's either opportunities for advancements or there's new projects. But there's this intent of like a mutual alignment of like we both want the company to grow so mm-hmm. that I have that long-term stable employment that grows either with inflation or promotions and business owners, whether it's privately held or a publicly public credit company, the stock price in this case would also grow as well. And so there's that, that mutual alignment on a long-term expectation basis. I, I wow. don't think that would apply to a contract work i I think that that's uh, Mm -hmm. nice but i think it does apply to the w2 employees that have that time flexibility i guess i say Mm -hmm. does that that sound fair i'm trying like i'm trying to think of any other like counter examples of w2 employees that either don't have the structure but they still have that long-term alignment or they have like misaligned incentives. I try, try to think of other uh, counter examples yeah. where contract work, it's like, I don't, the contractor doesn't care if the company grows because I'm gone in three months anyway. or I'm only doing this one thing anyways, and they're paying me for my time.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the, this is, again, one of those things, it's a spectrum, right? And some things are going to be very clear, but there's going to be many cases where things feel like one, but could be the other. And I'm sure there's plenty of examples, you did mention, for example, if you're in a more sales type of role or more commissions type of role, you may not even have to show up to a job, right? As long as you hit your numbers, no matter how yeah. you do it, that might be all that matters. However, you know, from the standpoint of the business, you're their employee, they control your salary and your base at least, and then the the performance and your growth within the firm is also tied to how well you do. And the notion is it's a long-term relationship for, you know, what one of the key distinctions as we, we both alluded to is typically W-2 is considered more of a full-time notion, whereas yeah, the self-employment or independent contractor or 1099 is more, it could be more of a part-time or many part-times, you know, some together is your empo- employment situation. So the, the, that could all end up, being there i'll just share another bullet point or two you know from that that same article let me kind of throw it up there so for for a WT worker as we mentioned you are on the payroll your taxes are withheld from you versus you having to pay them like quarterly so you know just logistically there's a difference there again it's more full-time in nature and um you're eligible for unemployment so unemployment programs were set up primarily to protect full-time workers who are tying themselves to a business realizing that if that business goes under then yeah. or they need to get laid off for certain reasons um, some sort of safety net would be sensible. so basically from your paycheck you pay into and uh, um, you pay a certain amount each month or per pay period into unemployment as an insurance type of program typically run by the state. And then again, if you end up in an unemployed situation that qualifies, then you receive funds to help subsidize your living situation until you can regain employment elsewhere.
1: I, I, I just feel like that might be one of the key distinctions it, that, that the eligible for unemployment and not eligible for unemployment. Like what I think of, of, W uh, W-2 employee and like long-term secure employment. Um, I was influenced by uh, uh, something that I believe Alan Moore from XYPN had said of when you have a job, like one person or company is in charge of hundred percent of your income. So you can go from hundred percent to zero. And if you start your own business, if I lose a client, whether it's kind of bad work or they just move on, I still have the rest of my clients. So like there's some like fluctuations, but as long as I'm doing a good job, I I don't have as much risk to my income. But I think that difference is when I started, I wasn't eligible for unemployment. Like I I was getting nothing for a while, but the full-time employees, the W2 employees, if they start and they get laid off they have that unemployment it's not going from 100 to 0 it is that safety net idea that gives them time to find their next job and i i had not thought of unemployment as like a key part of being a w2 employee but that might be one of those big distinctions that's that 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 does give you that bridge to go from one job to the next without kind of being too on your own. Well, okay, so I I, I guess
0: we put enough out there for me to climb on a soapbox for a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so my my high level of take between the two options, you know, being self employed versus W two is. I think the the sacrifice is convenience of having to work things out on your own, right? So with the W-2, you get all of these things spelled out for you and decided for you. Whereas with a 1099 or self-employment situation, you have to figure them out on their own. I think that's the main benefit. Frankly, all the other benefits, I think are tied to that notion. For example you often think that it's great with a W-2 in situation that you get all these benefits, but that's technically your compensation package for money that should be coming to you anyway. Right. Yeah. So if you're working as a W-2 employee and you're getting 60,000 as a base and another 30,000 in benefits, your market price is 90,000. Meaning if you're self-employed, that's how much roughly we'll talk to the side, you know, the, the small nuances, but that's roughly what you should command if you're self-employed, 90,000. But the difference is you need to figure out those benefits from that 90,000 yourself. And I think that's true in all the cases. For example, W-2, you get your insurance figured out through your employer. The benefit there is the the employer gets to sign up for a group plan. So they get to come up with a plan with many individuals in the firm to hopefully get a better competitive rate than they would otherwise. I happen to think that's a um, regulatory capture issue where insurance companies love that it works that way and that you are tied to your employer. But I think it produces the most inefficient healthcare system on the planet, (laughs) which we've talked about at length. So I don't think it's a great benefit, but it it does hurt the independent contractor or self-employed individual who needs to, go out, out on their own to shop around for insurance because he doesn't have a large pool to yeah. compete on price. Unfortunately, that's a regulation issue in my mind. The system isn't set up properly to allow for that, but I think that's just the, the facts of the matter. Other things like the unemployment insur- insurance that you just mentioned. Yes, you could pay into the uninsur- unemployment insurance program, uh, which you are required to do when you're an employee with a W-2 position. However, you could self-insure for the same types of issues that could come up if you are self-employed, meaning you could put away a certain amount. You could buy some sort of even policy, I bet, you know, to handle that type of situation. So I don't think any of the benefits that you get as a W-2 employer couldn't be gotten otherwise, you know, but it's going to take more work to figure out.
1: Now, that you say that, I, I, this is like I have to check with my CPA and like I'm not and and or the payroll. Like I'm not sure. Like, but I'm an I have an LLC. I actually do pay myself a salary, uh, because part of the like rules of LLC, I have to pay myself the employee a reasonable salary for the work that I do. Uh, from that salary, Social Security, payroll taxes, and I haven't actually checked my own paycheck or my own pay stub. It's possible <laughs> that that part of my income is co- is contributing to unemployment insurance.
0: Possibly, and uh, what what I'd also say is there are de minimis requirements for if we're, if we're needing to do that, but you you can look into that. What? But what I'm I'd say look this is, I'm uh, quick. You you go ahead. That that's fine. I will continue pontificating for a bit, but. but The notion is, well, okay, with unemployment insurance specifically, it's not a panacea of if anything goes wrong with your employment situation, you get it. There are highly, and depending on the state you live in, the restrictions can be pretty heavy. And the amount that you can get, depending on your income level, may not be nearly enough to cover what you would like. And it doesn't last forever either. Now, I know a lot of these rules were changed over COVID, but that this was basically the government stepping in to subsidize state-run ins- uh, unemployment programs. However, you know the next time around, it could be vastly different. My, my certain concern with state-run insurance programs is you're paying into a system that's gonna have its own overhead with, as with any insurance program. So the amount that you get out of it may not be anywhere near the amount that you put in over your lifetime. So, self insuring in that type of situation, if you have an emergency fund, that's kind of what that's for, right? That, that's your unemployment insurance for when things happen, especially if unemployment insurance doesn't cover that situation.
1: Uh, okay, so I, you know what? I, I don't actually know where the I am playing into California SDI, but that's I think that's the state disability insurance. Yeah, right.
0: So disability, right, all of these other benefits that you could get, this is stuff that you could potentially get on your own. Some of these things, as I mentioned, unfortunately, the way the insurance programs are set up, it's a little, it's harder to do as a self-employed individual. Again, I I think that's just a regulation issue that the U.S. isn't looking
1: forward to overcoming anytime soon. So I I think a non-employment lawyer, so, or regulator, uh. Graystone, the employer, does pay into the California State Unemployment Insurance Program.
0: Okay. So the
1: employer pays the unemployment insurance premiums like via that little tax. Yeah. So I think for the level I'm paying myself as a salary, I am contributing to unemployment insurance. So I am eligible uh based on that salary.
0: Yeah. I'll make another nuanced distinction. A lot of these benefits, there is a difference between the W 2 and 10 and a 9 on who plays, the employer or the employee. Yeah. My point here as well is in the end, the employee pays for everything because it's out of his compensation. Out of the market compensation. Yeah. 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 It's all fungible, meaning if the employer is paying $10,000 on benefits on your behalf, that's out of the total package that that employer assigned to your situation, just because it goes from his paycheck instead of from your paycheck is semantics in my mind. So it's not like you get free money
1: for a benefit. Our our example is that exact example. Like I have my business revenue, the business paying the unemployment rate versus my like personal, like W2 salary paying that. Does't matter for me, because I'm the only employee of this business,
0: right. Yeah. and you know, there's subtle distinctions between how a benefit gets paid from a tax purpose, right? Who gets to claim the deduction so that that yeah, can make yeah. a difference? However, the two things, when you're self-employed, you get more flexibility in that distinction, right? And yes. also, when you're the employer, you get more flexibility in that distinction so that when you provide the benefits, you, that benefit gets deducted as an expense on your business income rather than on the, so that there, there's many things that you can play around with that distinction. But again, at the end of the day, I think all of this just ends up being the compensation that's earmarked for this individual. So it's not like it's a
1: free lunch either way. Okay. Uh, So I, I completely agree. I'm going to take this in a t- totally different direction um, because when I was thinking about this like W2 versus self-employed idea, when I thought about that, like psychological expectation thing uh, one of the first things that came to mind was uh, some of the work I do with SCI and this has gone back for more than a decade and, um, and like the work I did as an employee at my prior firm and the employees at SCI that I worked with, I would have a question on the investment. Some, something I need, I needed an answer. I would email the content at SCI uh, cause they're on the East coast. A lot of times they get back to me the next day and like, okay, based on what they uh answered, I'll okay, go here's my next question and I'll get back the next day. So it's like a two to four day turnaround to try and like, figure this thing out. If a client asked me a question or the advisors, my my bosses at my prior firm asked me a question, not only would I figure out the answer to that specific question, but I would anticipate what their next question is going to be based on that answer. And I would look up that and prepare that answer as well. And so it, as I said, it was like a psychological speed, like I'm going above and beyond just the question asked to try to do the better job for the overall situation. Both like boss and client are happier. And that's like a a super tiny example of that go above and beyond kind of thing. And I think that is that like psychological, like maybe like it would be like kind of ambition, but it's that idea of, having the mindset beyond just the contract, or like beyond the, the task of you're a W2 employee, you are paid to do this one thing. And there's a wide variety of people who may happen to be paid as W2 employees, but they show that they are going to be thinking more entrepreneurially, thinking for the growth of the business and they have that mindset. And so they kind of earned that, time flexibility they earn those freedoms and like it, and here's like you don't need to be an actual self-employed person to get all the benefits of self-employed person you could be a w2 employee but it's more that like that ambition and mindset and like again that like psychological expectation like i, I was already i was not aware like the mechanics of starting a business sorry LLC. i had to look that up and figure it out but again like like you said it was all the other stuff like, like having that mindset of figuring it out versus oh someone else is gonna take care of like my health insurance, my 401k, my discipline. All I gotta do is sign like sign here and they'll take care of it. Oh man, that is so easy. Why is yeah. it ever gonna do this? Like I think there's something there, like like what? it's it's, it's so funny. Like, do you have the mindset that you're gonna figure it out for yourself?
0: Yeah, and this comes back to our initial conversation that that probably led us down this path. But the, the notion of um, you know being more intrinsically motivated to figure things out, or extrinsically motivated to follow what's been told to you and meeting you know check boxes so that you advance on your next review or you get the bonus at the end of the year, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it. And even in the W two situation where you where you noted that you can have a mindset of being more self employed, I think that simply that does occur in many cases when an employee is incentivized with options, right, and percentages and points and partnership, right. That the notion is you're giving an employee the um, the motivation to think like an employer. That's why you're giving them the options. You want them to think of the best interests of the company as well as the best interests of their personal situation, realizing by doing that, you can probably grow the pie better. If somebody who's thinking about the next question, you know, is incentivized by the business growing, then
1: they'll more likely do that. And I I think, yep. I have a slight pushback. I think that the person who's thinking about the next question they are intrinsically motivated they'll probably do the work but if the company if the employer can't provide that incentive based system of growth and or promotion they'll leave the company for another employer who will mm-hmm. and so yeah. i don't i think the employee will still do the good work but if the employer wants to keep that good worker they have to provide those growth opportunities
0: Or the the employee will freelance, right? They'll find something where they can leverage that capability on their own. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think market
1: forces will help take care of that. Yes. Um, And so like what the thing I I think I wrote down here, like, again, like the the psychology, I think is going to be amazing, but. um, I can imagine that when a. W-2 worker who clocks in, clocks out, they do a good job, they're happier with their work, when they leave at the end of the day, they don't think about work. And that is freeing and calming and has a lot of psychological benefits that there's less stress, there's kind of less concern, they get to do the things they like with their free time. But those that are like, Growth oriented and have that mindset, whether self employed or W two employees, they're thinking about the problems that work the next day during their off time. Yeah, and it's like it, I would not again. I don't. I, I'd be I I'd be here to see a little more research on like the psychology that like I know people who do a really good job, and when they clock out, they. Don't worry about what's going on. Mm -hmm. And they don't like that. They're not being paid to think about it in their off time. So they, and they, they live a happy life. They get to do the things they enjoy. They don't have to worry about figuring out health insurance and saving and 401k. Like a lot of that stuff's taken care of. They do a good job. They're happy. They get, they have plenty of time for their hobbies. They like the structure that is like calming to them. They don't have to deal with, ups and downs of different business cycles that like they do a good job and they're happy and they're a w2 employee with like they can't take a random tuesday off to go hiking in the woods or they can cuz they have vacation days like i'm going to yeah. take next tuesday off and that's my one of my my 3 weeks of vacation that's one of my 21 days of vacation yeah so See,
0: I, I think they're It's interesting because they can certainly be situations where there's a level of unintended consequences such that it feels the exact opposite. For example, I've seen many situations where, in my career, even frankly, where we're all W-2 workers we're all working more than 40 hours, <laughs> Fifty, sixty is, you know, it says in the contract 40, but we may require you to work nights and weekends on as needed, probably every day basis. Right? <laughs> oh, you, you have a limited vacations, but nobody takes any. Right. So, <laughs> okay. So that it's, it's interesting because these, um, benefits right quote air quotes oh i can even do that (laughs) are are, are put in place to provide that notion of flexibility but many times if you have a w-2 employee and you have a 1099 worker and you have 80 hours of work and you have (laughs) two people you might as well give 60 to the (laughs) w-2 because you know 20 of that you don't have to pay for
1: right so okay um uh I think there's a good a Twitter I follow. I, I think I'm like at the name of it. I think it's like F that I quit. Um, and it's just kind of like pointing out the ways that there's a lot of bad employers in our country. Yeah, I, I, I think this is like, this is, this is why at will employment goes both ways. Yeah, That if you're a bad employer, you're going to have trouble keeping your, the good employees. It's like, if you keep giving them all sixty hours, like, like why would you work there? Like now, maybe they're paying you well enough. Yeah, they're like, okay, all they like, so that's the choice the business is making. Um, but if there's another employer next door down the street that will pay them the same or even a little bit less, but treat their employees well, they'll start losing employees to those other good employers so like there is a of market at work but I, I do think that there are uh i can I think it's almost like psychological like it's the it's the employees who will not put up with it like and they'll just leave for the other job yeah but i guess that's why that's why employee it's, it's why employment law and regulations exist because
0: it, it is at will, right? And it's it's a free yeah. country. You're not tied down. I, I think it, it may be also industry specific, like hedge fund industry, it, you're just signing up for it and you know what you're getting yeah. into. You're, yeah. you're going to have to work long, hard hours and it's going to take a commitment that's far beyond what it says in, in the black and white and you'll be compensated for it, right? That That's all part yes. of the yeah. nudge, nudge, wink, wink type of arrangement. But it, in my mind, um, what what what, else, what kind of bugged me about that type of situation is, again, you'll also be to the assortment of benefits that get thrown on your plate that may not make sense for your situation. You know, often when you um, join a, a larger company and you're young, yes, you get a group health care plan, but you're a young, healthy person. You're basically subsidizing the older people in the company. So th- that's not actually a benefit you'd sign up for if you had the choice. There's also many types of benefits that you just don't care about. Why does a 22-year-old with no dependents need a half a million dollar life insurance policy You know, through their employer? So th- th- there's many things where that's money that you would not spend on your own and put the effort into paying out on, but it's coming out of your pocket, whether you like it or not. Yeah. When it comes to the 401k plan, I remember when I first, uh, my first job out of school, um, the company was a small business. I've only worked for small businesses. They didn't have a 401k plan. They finally got one in, like in my second year. They come in, they pitch the plan, and I saw it was all actively managed funds with high fees, and they said they had an open architecture. As they were leaving, I held up my hand. I'm like, where's the index funds? Like. <laughs> yeah can't i invest in like an s&p index and they're like oh yeah sure we have an open architecture we can do whatever you want and they left and disappeared for about six months i kept on them you know month after month saying all right let's get this on the platform let's get this on i had to bug them for at least six months after i resigned to get them on the platform just because i didn't want to give it up (laughs) for the people who were still there
1: that's the mindset thing that's like. You are no longer there. You can roll over your 401 case on IRA and invest in those index funds, but you still like wanted to get the problem fixed.
0: <laughs> yeah. But my point is, the employees there, uh, um, it was a financial services company, but we were building software for banks, you know, not really Im- investment related. Nobody else would have probably even brought up the issue that whole time. And all of a sudden you have a hundred, you know, 50 to hundred people in a substandard plan, in my opinion, where they could have been doing far better, but now they're beholden to the employer who chose that plan. Why did the employer choose that plan? Because by choosing a plan with high fees, the employer expenses
1: are lower. You know, that's yeah, how it works. It's it was passing the cost to the employees where. Exactly. And it's. it's the business. And yeah. it's into the expense ratios. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and here's a situation where the employee would gladly save a thousand to pass on ten thousand to right why not? Because they can. And this yeah. happens all the time. This is a little pet peeve of mine because I've seen it way too many times in the past. I you know, even at the hedge fund, the HR department went out and found their own 401k plan provider. And I raised my hand again. I'm like, where is it? <laughs> And the moment I did that, the CEO looked at me and realized what I was doing. And the, you know, the 401k plan was gone That the next day, they found something else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but here's the distinction, right? You had mentioned, if you're a 1099, you can't participate in the employer's plan. I say, great, we'll start one for you on your own. We'll set up a solo 401k, right? That's, that's what scary. I do for my clients. And we can have a very cost-effective plan that allows you to put in as much as possible for, you know, a fraction of what your employer is probably
1: playing for that full board plan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Again, I think it's more like, are you going to take the time to figure it out? Here's, here's Here's the distinction. And you're
0: absolutely right. You know, we talked about this in the previous episodes about how, the current system is designed to create employees starting at the education level and, you know, working them through a pipeline all the way through retirement where the notion is, you know, that whole Adam Smith model, specialize, focus on your little corner, do it well, go through all the check boxes. You'll have a pension at the end and everything will be covered for you. And my personal stance on that is it's very inefficient to do it that way because by giving up agency on all those different areas of your life you're letting somebody else make those decisions that may be beneficial for the whole but it may be horrible for you and you may not even know it
1: and by yep without without going down that path because we had a whole conversation last time about this um it's more like a chicken and the egg kind of question of like do you think if there was an education system that taught that independence and that more entrepreneurial self-directed mindset early let's let's say that does exist do you think there will be more people who will have the mindset of I want to figure it out for myself or is there still a decent order of people like my life is easier and I am happier with more structure in place?
0: I I certainly think it's a former. Here's why. I, I think there was a sliver in time where that model of going through the check boxes in education, getting the W-2 job, staying in the same company for 30 years, getting that pension, and then, you know, dying happily with, you know, your two-bedroom house and two kids in college and all of that made a lot of sense. I, I feel like the way society is set up now, a lot of that is just so hard to do. You don't stay in the same job for 30 years. You have to be entrepreneur in your mindset, realizing that, Frankly, the market rewards you for switching every two or three years. Yeah. Also, there's a lot of things in your life that you are given agency to handle where if you don't have that experience, it's not going to lead to great outcomes. I tell my clients, whether you like it or not, your household is a business, right? And you're managing your expenses and your income to create assets and build wealth just like a business if you don't have a clear understanding of how that works you're giving up so much on the top end so whether you like it or not you're running a self-employment business right and if by not understanding how taxes work by not understanding how the financial system works by giving agency away to all of these different areas in your life that are i in my opinion pretty critical you're giving up so much and That begins with this understanding of, you know, not being an employee, not having that employee mindset of having everything else figured out for you. So uh, at the end of the day, I I think by changing that focus, it would change a lot. Also in one's personal life, you have to figure out things on your own. You have to figure out your own health and what works for you and your own, you know, mental health, physical health, financial health. If you leave that to your employer or some outside force, it may not get the, the light of day that it deserves. It may get the short end of the stick.
1: Okay, so I you you the first thought comes by and I'm like, "Okay, got to make sure I talk to my kids about this." Like like for, like that's like an immediate first thought. of like, Got to get, get that growth mindset going, and and I, I've read about things it's, it's and things like grit and stick to itiveness and um that problem solving like try and my wife and I talked about like okay what's the next question that we're gonna ask like so so there's definitely something there I agree with that um, second thought was I think it was Peter Thiel was funding something like I'll pay you uh. 200 hundred grand to not go to college or something like that. If you try and start a business or so something like that, we yeah. you're saying like um, college applicants who are qualified enough to get in, but trying to like give them the money first. Um, I think we, we had the conversation, like if a private college costs 250, like would you rather have a million dollars to start a business or a four year degree from, from Harvard? Mm-hmm. uh, uh That it's because I I I still don't know I I I am I'm there's still still like I'm still thinking like networking effects kind of thing but um, I'm I'm more and more I won't say on board but like (laughs) you know this will keeps saying this one thing like he keeps making sense. The the educa- the education I can see that. Um I I guess it's a the, I, I know how 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 much how nice it can be like if if someone's taking care of something for it. Like like having that structure, having to remove like I don't want to have to make every decision. And my wife and I talk like this is like a, just a mental exhaustion at the end of the day, especially being parents of answering so many questions from three kids who like, like literally they're asking a question while I'm answering the first one. The second one asks the question. I remember that question. I was answering the third last question. It's like, I'm now like have a mental cue of four questions in my head while I'm still answering the first one. And like that kind of thing just gets exhausting. Like, But those are all like good traits that I want my kids to have. and so. What I get to the other day is like, what do you want for dinner? It's like, I don't care if you choose, I'll make it. <laughs> and neither of us to choose. <laughs> we would both rather make dinner as long as we didn't have to decide what dinner was. Right. And yeah. so I, I, I think there's still some kind of opportunity for that in society. Yeah, uh, th-
0: there must be, but I-, I feel like it's such a double-edged sword. I I feel like I, I, you're there's an I've idealization, been. right? That that here's how it's supposed to work, but frankly, I think whether you whether we like it or not, the world is going to force
1: this change on everyone, right? When, so I think the like current economic environment is like employers extracting value from employees. Yeah. And like that that super old economic model that makes sense. Like the incentive for a company to hire an employee is if I can pay this employee $20 an hour, but the work they do as part of this organization provides $25 an hour of value, then like the company grows. And so the good employers We'll figure out okay if I can pay these two people twenty dollars an hour and together they're producing fifty two dollars uh it per in like value like there's this like synergy of their work yeah the company grows and both employers employees are happy the bad employers like okay if I can get twenty five dollars but I can pay this other person nineteen dollars per hour I'm gonna do yeah. that it's a lot easier to like screw the employee than to figure out how to get those two working together well. Uh, Here's how we're in. uh, Here's how I I personally
0: see it. If you're looking for a job where you can slim under the radar and somehow get by with minimal effort and freelance on the side or something like that, W two seems like a good deal. Basically you're getting more out of the company than they're (laughs) they're getting from you. However Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, what I was going to is, however, the way employment is set up in this country, we all, we've discussed this many times. The employer is going to squeeze out as much as they possibly yeah. can on you, such that no matter how much the performance of the company increases, your wages adjusted for inflation will not go up.
1: Yeah, it, you, you should look at the effort I quit. It'll be like you'll be entertained. It's hilarious, and you'll be angry. <laughs> Uh, so, I, I it's, it's also like, like classic capitalism. Like any to like buy and sell. Like I'll sell this to you for ten dollars. No, you'll buy it for nine ninety. Okay, I'll sell it to you for nine ninety five, and like that. Like we're we're both trying to like extract the value from each other yeah. in that negotiation. And that's kind of like what the market forces of employer and employee is. Like I'll pay you this much. Well, I want this much. No, like, 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 like there's yeah. negotiation there, but there's like both like, I'm going to give you as little time as I can to get your money. Again, for that, like that mindset example of like yeah. the employee trying to extract as much value from the company and the company trying yeah. to extract as much value from the employee. And again, so I think that's that's, that's probably like, because uh, they're yeah, like, that's the misaligned incentives. Neither of them are trying to align that relationship to be for their both benefits. I think mean, so. There's, I think there's a lot of good examples where when when those incentives are aligned, both work out. But there's too many people who I want all the reward for the work that these employees do, and sometimes it's just like stockholders. Stockholders don't necessarily care about. Like the like lunch in the lunchroom, yeah. Like, they say, We're paying how much in lunch? Like, that, like, that affects the stock price. And so, like, so I think there's a something there, but this is just like, it sounds like, like, classic capitalism.
0: It, it uh, is, it, it is capitalism. And, you know, frankly, this is the way the system is set up so that this balance will lead to wealth creation, where the majority of it will go to the owners. That's just how capitalism works. Employees can be incentivized by, like we said, becoming owners in some capacity, whether it's de minimis or not, that can help. But that's the way the system is set up. And, you know, I think the trade-off of being an employee, you know, just to sum things up a, a little bit, is you're basically giving up top end for security, right? You're giving up some of the pie for the feeling of being safe. Kind of like the reason why you might buy an insurance
1: policy. I think that's actually good for a good a very important distinction because you're not necessarily giving up top end for security. You're giving up top end for the feeling of yes. being safe.
0: Yes, that's a big notion there, right? It's that feeling, right? We, we know there's many cases where if you... Think about it in practice. The self-insurance route might be sensible. The only the last point I just want to make before we, we run to the end of the clock. Aaron <laughs> and I are trying to race to a meeting while we're <laughs> perpetually going over our time ex- expounded time limit. But uh, you know, again, just that notion of I think the world is changing to the point where it may not even make sense to have employees anymore, or being the employee. And following that mindset of, I'm going to follow the checkboxes and hope things work out. We even mentioned the notion that the job market is changing so quickly that that job you go to school for may not exist by the time you graduate. So you you need to have some sort of mindset of being able to adjust to do what's best for your situation rather than letting that be decided in advance or by some other agent, agent beside yourself.
1: And I, I actually do think, uh, like, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, is going to be one of those, like, time in history decisions where by unlinking health insurance from your employer, I think that's going to be one of those little catalysts that will have big ripple effects over generations. Because we mm-hmm. saw the exact opposite happen in during World War II. Like, we've talked about that history. Like, that's when they started being linked together. And so that's been the, it did not exist in the 1930s. It's just like the 1950s till now, like it's until the uh, mid 2010s. And so I think that we're going to see, that's going to be one of those things. So, okay, this is good. I like it. Uh, I Okay, my, 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 my last one thing. I feel still feel like right now, I'm not trying to teach my kids to upset the system. I'm teaching I'm trying to teach them to play the game, if that makes sense. It, now, and like what, what do you mean by upset the system? Uh they're still gonna go to college, but <laughs> I, I'm gonna make yeah, they're still gonna go to college, but <laughs> I'm gonna make sure to teach them how to invest in real estate, save early, like 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 extract everything you can from your employer, negotiate this. Like I'm gonna make sure that like they understand the game well enough to to own a variety of assets.
0: My my optimistic end note is I I think all what all this means is there's ripe room for disruption. Meaning I hope we don't need college anymore. I, I hope that kids can find a way to learn far better than they ever would with the technologies that we're creating on an individualized basis, such that they're learning better than they would at the best university on the planet for nothing. And for healthcare, I'm hoping that there's similar disruptions there that any human can get, you know, great medical advice for pennies on the dollar, you know, unless it's some super cutting edge therapy, but standard medicine, you know, I think could come down in price by leveraging All of these enhancements and technology so you know i I, in my mind after energy prices which i mentioned before should come down on the chopping block i i think these two could as well which would change the whole game here that that we're talking about
1: okay this as always great conversation lots of fun (laughs) only only went four minutes over the hour
0: (laughs) <laughs> right. All right, good good stuff Aaron. I enjoyed the conversation as well. If you're enjoying these, do like, subscribe, share, listen and we'll we'll see you later. Thanks everybody for listening and watching. Bye. Bye.